That is the sound of the 35th Missile for the Masses starting up. It's the Chaplin Assistance Motor Pod, and I am your host, Gary, and this is the podcast where I discuss a little bit of my world of G.I. Joe, things I've gotten in the mail, things I'm experiencing, uh, movies I'm re-watching, or just comics I'm reading, and every missile I review a G.I. Joe vehicle or playset. And to start off this time, I just got in the mail my Tiger Force Outback pre-ordered from Target. It was boxed like it was to survive anything that came with it. I got to give Target credit that the amount of bubble wrap used, the, the individually boxed inside a larger box that was almost from my elbow to my fingertip long. Very impressive collector-grade packaging that isn't seen at many retail stores. And just a quick review. I've only had them a couple hours now. Didn't waste any time getting them out of the box once I got them home, once I got home from work. This is the most character, I think, in any G.I. Joe classified figure. Right out of the box, he is so strong. Defined, you know, muscle definition. Just that classic orange shirt with camouflage pants. The straps the rubber straps for his knife sheath on his lower left leg, the flashlight sheath, you know, the gun holster, the backpack straps, the backpack are all this leathery brown color. And the backpack straps have a darker brown paint applique applique on the top. And it is just such a solid figure with wrinkles in the face, definition in the grayness of the beard and hair. He just looks like a veteran. He looks like somebody that's seen some action. It is probably as of this moment, and it's pretty it's pretty hard sad to say, because I'm going to talk about another classified figure just in a moment. But this is for me my favorite classified figure and something that I'm always going to have on display. It is just a great update of an iconic look. If there was anything to take away from it, the tiger on his chest is just a little too defined. It seems it's not as, I don't know, homemade or uh, low tech as his original Tiger Force uniform from the European release. But I can forgive it because it's just the shirt looks too new compared to the grizzledness of the rest of the character. And that's such a minor complaint, I think, at this point. The box, you know, it's one of the last of the clear boxes. And the funny thing is on the back of the box, it has this scene that I could only assume is from Cobra Island. And... It reminds me of those 1990s live action commercials for G.I. Joe. And I like it. It's pretty cool. It could be a nice backdrop 
for displaying Outback. You know, I've only had him a couple hours. I'm not going to go into super detail about, you know, what he looks like, but everything just screams quality on this guy. Um, like I said, you know, very, very few uh, detractors on this guy compared to, uh, you know, some other modern updates of other classic G.I. Joe figures. Packages. G.I. Joe! Nobody tastes on Chopers better than Sergeant Slaughter. Earlier this week, another G.I. Joe classified figure that I got, the number 53, Sergeant Slaughter. He's in that windowless packaging, which only inspires me to open it up and get the figure in hand. Here is a figure that only, you know, a little over a year ago, I got Vala versus Sergeant Slaughter, the original version. There's a couple things that struck me about the Hasbro version over the Valiverse. So it's going to be a little bit of a comparison if you don't have either one or both. The first thing to start off with is that the Hasbro... G.I. Joe Classified Sergeant Slaughter is definitely an upscaling of the version of Sergeant Slaughter that came with the Triple T tank. He's got nice camouflage pants, a nice white webbed belt, the black tank top. His accessories are a little bit on the interesting size. He comes with a little mini half-inch G.I. Joe figure of himself on a card back and before I opened Sergeant Slaughter up I knew of that little guy on the card back and I was nervous that it would be sealed and that if I opened it up for him to display, you know hold him in his hand like some of the promotional images of this G.I. Joe classified figure had that it wouldn't be able to go back together so I was really excited when I discovered that the plastic used to retain this little tiny figure, you know, has the card back slide in and out. And that was almost like a relief for me. Uh, while I do like to open up my stuff and play with it, I do like the ability to put it back. So I carefully open up the boxes and even these windowless ones, because when I'm not displaying the figures, I put them back in the box and I store him until I rotate the display again. He comes with a great assortment of hands. as four pair, depending on what you need him to do, grab things or punch things or point at things. You know, he's got the whistle that hangs around his neck, nice gold whistle, and then he's got his baton, his brown drill sergeant hat, and, you know, his shades. And this is where I want to start talking about the difference than the Valiverse one. The big thing about the Valiverse one was the hat is like a hard, hard, hard plastic, and it sits on top of his head, whereas the Hasbro one is rubber or rubbery, so it has some flex. And the hat on the Hasbro one sits better on his head. It doesn't come off as easily. The one accessory that's much better than the Vala versus the sunglasses. The shades on the Hasbro ones stay on 
so well while I've always been fighting the glasses falling off on the Valiverse Sergeant Slaughter. Other things to note is the Hasbro one is a little bit taller and the traps muscles on the Hasbro Sergeant Slaughter are so much bigger than the Valiverse one. The Hasbro figure is such a mind's eye of what you picture Sergeant Slaughter in 1985. It is, he's almost like his superhero version of himself. The Valiverse one is a much more realistic take on Sergeant Slaughter, the person. I think the Valiverse one has its place because it looks more like Sergeant Slaughter today, you know, 10 or 10 years ago. Whereas if you're looking for a more upscaled version of your 1985, 1986 Sergeant Slaughter, then the Hasbro one is probably the one that you're going to want to steer towards. The other thing to note is the arm articulation on, on the Hasbro one is, I find with the shoulders, is better than the Valiverse one. Also, the fact that the Valiverse one has that green coat. I don't have version two of Valiverse, so I can't really comment on that. Now, the big difference with the articulation, as usual, is the Valiverse chest cut is, while I prefer that much more than the Hasbro U-cut over the chest, that that is where the Valiverse definitely is stronger. And the other thing that Valiverse kind of has over the Hasbro is the weapon selection with Sarge's revolver and large knife. Whereas Hasbro, for an inexplicable reason, gave a good guy an AK-47. Now, the great thing is about that AK-47 is I can put it in the hands of a Cobra Trooper. And I looked up and see, it's like, I know that I saw Sergeant Slaughter using a machine gun in the comic book. And in 52, 53, I saw... Sergeant Slaughter hauling around an M60. So if, in my mind, the Hasbro should have molded like an M60 or another squad automatic weapon to kit for him to carry around rather than this AK-47. I mean, it's great that they molded the AK-47. Just give it to a Cobra. and uh, But that's really my biggest pet peeve with the figure. But other than that, it is a great... G.I. Joe classified figure and it is something that I'm currently is in my dis my display upstairs you know my little rotating display you know I'm really glad I got him yeah and that's and that's Sergeant Slaughter for you this week we are taking a look at the Ram the G.I. Joe Ram motorcycle and we're going to be taking a look at both versions of the Ram. And what I mean by that is the original 1982-1983 and the classified version. Now, one of the things to start off with looking at the 1983 Ram is understanding where motorcycles were in the late 1970s in the United States Army. In the 1970s, the U.S. military had started single sourcing fuel to control supply chains and to avoid having more than one fuel requirement 
across the entire range of the military. So what that meant was diesel for the motorcycles. Really prior to that, the notion of a military motorcycle was like the typical Harley. And Harley-Davidson did come out with the MT-500, which saw use in Britain, Jordan, and Canada. But Harley never won the contract in the United States because it was a gas motor, not a diesel. The MT-500 is a more off-road motorcycle design than what you would typically think of a traditional Harley, you know, motorcycle chopper. You're talking twin shocks at the rear of the swing arm, your long, you know, low-slung exhaust, an air-cooled engine. You know, if you think of 1940s, World War II design, you know, with the sidecar, you're you're on the right path thinking of the, the early uh, G.I. Joe Ram, where the 82 Ram is a little bit different than those older motorcycles is they started incorporating a little more modern design. You have a geometric style saddle. You have a long gas tank. And then you also have a rounded, almost aerodynamic front fairing. Now, the front fairing on this Ram was designed with straight arms in mind. So because straight arms, you couldn't, you can't rotate the hands really to grab a handlebar, like let's say the Cobra Ferret from 1984, they have the, it has these little pockets for you to stuff, you know, breakers or rock and rolls hands inside because the arms were only bending up and down. Obviously, 1983 introduced the swivel arms, which changed all that. But Hasbro isn't going to change the design of the Ram because they made a giant leap the next year. For example, you look at the 1984 Ferret, you have that straight handlebar. And when you put a character to ride on that, you know, the elbows are out and almost comically so. And then you go further on into 1985, and this won't be the first time I talk about the Silver Mirage motorcycle, where you have the small handlebars, but they're upright to allow you to keep the elbows in. This is one reason why I do like the 1986 Cobra Bats, because it has that wrist articulation. And I loved that when I was a kid. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm excited about Call Sign Longbow and Operation Recall, because I believe Operation Recall even has those articulated hands. But anyway, back to the Ram. So the Ram also has saddlebags and, you know, those are reminiscent of, you know, earlier times. But the big thing about the Ram is its machine gun sidecar. And that is, you know, quite a bit of contention amongst collectors as is it practical or not. The machine gun is called out for on the blueprints, a 20 millimeter electronic Gatling cannon. Now at that size of armament, 
The biggest question would be recoil, and at a 20 millimeter size, that would be huge. It's a Gatling gun, so the rate of fire on this would be incredibly fast. And also, the other thing would be is with that recoil, how could we get around it? Could it be made recoilless? There have been ways, especially modern, the KRS, the Chris Vector, with coming up with a way to make the recoil of a machine gun linear rather than as you fire in full auto, it the every additional shot raises the barrel in, in, in aim, it keeps it straight. So it keeps you on target, but it still has that pushback, you know, into your shoulder. Is the sidecar practical? Realistically, no, but that's not fun. And how much ammo could that sidecar legitimately hold? Not much based on 1983's dimensions, but again, this is a toy. So let's appreciate it as a toy and how much fun this this motorcycle really is. And this is my favorite motorcycle, bar none, of the entire G.I. Joe line. And before I go further, the one thing, again, the tractor from the Ram is the way the sidecar mounts to the chassis of the Ram. The one post is coming off the frame about where the oil box would be on a motorcycle, which is in front of the rear tire. But the rear mount for the side machine gun is at the rear of the trailing arm. Now, why this is not a good idea is the trailing arm on a real motorcycle moves up and down with the travel of the motorcycle. You can't have that on a motorcycle unless you have a hardtail, and you're not going to use a hardtail in a military application. This is where the Silver Mirage is actually better because it mounts the sidecar on the front of the frame and mid of the frame, allowing that single swing arm to give a suspension movement uh, on that. And that's another reason why the Silver Mirage is such a fiddly little motorcycle that I just, unfortunately, I don't really play with. I have the one, but you can see my previous episode for my full review on the Silver Mirage. Back to the Ram once again. The Ram is molded in green with gray plastic. The wheels and tires are one piece, and the saddlebags are gray, the seat is gray, the wheel on the sidecar is gray, and finally the kickstand is gray as well. Now, the Ram came riveted, both halves of the motorcycle came riveted together, so the tires were already pre-installed, but everything else was snapped together in the typical build-it-yourself kit in applying the decals. And with that, it's very simple, and it's very realistic towards what was would actually be used on the battlefield. Moving on to the blueprints. So we start off with the self-sealing tires on magnesium wheels. It sounds really good. Now, unfortunately, though, magnesium is, while very light and very strong, 
it is a poor choice for a military side because magnesium can catch fire and it doesn't go out easily. You need special equipment to put out uh, magnesium fires. And that's a good thing. They have barbecue. So it sounds good marketing perspective, but it wouldn't really be something that's practical. The next up, they call it out. They call it the 1000cc twin cam engine. Now, twin cam, you know, that's not a stretch. And 1000cc out of a motorcycle with two exhaust pipes, which would mean a 500cc displacement per, uh, per cylinder. That is, again, uh, very common. They've been racing 500cc single cylinder motorcycles for decades. And says it's also fuel injected and turbocharged. Now, it's cool that they say it's fuel injected. And there's no real carburetor molded in. So I can, okay, that's cool. But then it says it's turbocharged. Now, an example of a turbocharged motorcycle would be a Suzuki Hayabusa. And what is a turbocharger, which actually a turbocharger's original application was in World War II fighter aircraft. And it was called a turbo supercharger. Now, shortened to turbo, as we all know. So that is a turbine fan that compresses intake air by using the velocity of the exhaust to drive that. And looking at this wonderful little toy from 1982, there's no turbos hanging off the exhaust on the ram. The other thing, too, about a turbocharger, especially in something that would be used across the military would be the maintenance on a turbo unit, especially in the desert. It's not friendly to dirty air. Next up, you have the saddle packs. Saddle packs are great. You know, they have two stickers, saddle pack one, saddle pack two, if your decals were applied correctly. And obviously, that's where you put your stuff. And it's really nice that they're removable, you have a first aid kit on the left of the motorcycle, along with a tool case on the right side of the motorcycle. So you got some utility, you know, on this, you know. So that means you can even have Doc riding this with a first aid kit. And the tool case, because if you've ridden motocross bikes or if you've ridden off-road motorcycles, things are always coming loose. And you're always tightening things and applying Loctite to bolts you thought used torque down before you headed out on your ride. You have weapons and small arms case. You have explosive and electrical gear case, which is on the rear of the fender. You have a halogen headlamp, of course. And this is something that when I was redoing my whale how it has that little Honda motorcycle on the back and it has that grating or slits to cut down on the light from casting a large beam. This just has the halogen headlamp. It would be great if it had those little slits 
or that decal to put on there. It'd be a nice addition for that. Now, it's calling out an anti-reflective matte panel that's on the top of the fairing. That's basically to cut down on glare for the rider. With the fairing, you introduce an opportunity for the sunlight to bounce off of it like the hood of your car and going into the rider's eyes. So by painting it black, or in this case, the sticker, you're cutting down on that glare. And that was that was a trick used in the 1970s on high-performance cars. So that is an interesting decal added to this. Now, the fairing on this doesn't have a glass that covers the face, so that's something to be consider something to consider when you're posing a figure on this. You might want to use a figure that has a full helmet. In my case, I always have airtight riding it because airtight's awesome. It moves on to the analog instrumentation. So that, you know, typical gauging analog is still considered the the preferred method for spot checking your speed. They say it's quicker to read a dial than it is to read a digital readout. Now, one of the things that they're saying that this fairing is covering is a radome or electronic radar unit. That's pretty interesting that they've installed something like that over the front of the motorcycle. Plausible. It's definitely a little bit science fiction-y, but that is pretty cool. I, I like that. It also justifies the fairing. You got a self-sealing fuel bladder in the gas tank. You have a kickstand. You have heavy-duty rear shock absorbers. Now, again, these are twin shocks. This is something that in a modern motorcycle, like what the Army now uses, and I'll talk about that after, after we get done with this guy, is now they use a single shock located forward of the rear tire supporting the swing arm. But this is, again, inspired by those Harley-Davidson motorcycles of yesteryear. So you still have that twin shock design. It's also, in the late 70s, motocross bikes were still using twin shock. However, the big difference on this versus a motocross bike or an off-road bike, especially of this era, would be the exhaust would not be running against... The swing arm, the exhaust would be higher up, running above the rear tire. So when they designed the Ram, they ran the exhaust low because now you have the exhaust and you have your swing arm all in one piece. Number 15 is the dual strut front suspension. And, you know, that's that's your forks. You know, that's the, the shocks. And, you know, calling it a dual strut is basically... Other than the lefty shock used on mountain bikes, which is not a motocross or motorcycle, motorcycles have twin, you know, twin tube front suspension. So it's just typical. It's just, hey, you know, this is what it is. And that's and that's cool. Pointing it out, especially if you don't know a lot about motorcycles. So we're moving on to the sidecar now with a 20 millimeter electronic Gatling cannon. You have 17, the electronic control command box, which is located on top of the Gatling gun. You have electronics linkage, which is basically what mounts the sidecar to the motorcycle. And finally, the aerodynamic fairing, 
which is what I've been talking about <laughs> the whole time. So somehow when they numbered this, it went a little bit all over the place. The Ram is a favorite of mine. Who do I have riding it? You know, like I said earlier, full full helmet gets priority when I was a kid. Snake Eyes version three and Airtight wrote it a lot, but also Flint and nowadays Duke, you know, Stalker, you know, obviously you got Breaker and there isn't too many Joes that can't fit on a Ram. It is versatile. It fits two guys. The pegs for the feet are a little wonky because you kind of have to bend the knee and get the feet, get the toe of the foot. I always put the toe underneath the front peg and allowing the leg to sit against the upper rear peg. And then, you know, you just bend them down and you just bend the elbows and you, you slide them into the fairing and it works. And right now on my display upstairs, you know, Flint has been riding around quite a bit of Camp Jellystone on it while Duke is, you know, he mans the outpost defender. So even with the the minor squabbles, the six-barrel Gatling gun not being practical, the old-timey design versus what's really what the military was already moving away from in 1982, how many Gatling cannons out of five would I rate this? It's a five-Gatling cannon G.I. Joe toy. It is top tier. It is in the top five. It is a must-own. If you don't own one, you, you know, they're not incredibly expensive if they're missing a, a saddlebag or if the kickstand is oftentimes broke. But it's not an incredibly expensive vehicle either when it's all there. It's a rugged little toy for the most part. And what else can I say about it other than I love it? Now, I'm going to move on and we're going to talk about the G.I. Joe Classified Ram. But before we do, I want to give a little uh, context before I move into the Classified because we've had 40 years of advancement in motor- motorcycle technology when the when the Ram was introduced. So shortly after the Ram was produced, the military decided on the Kawasaki KLR 250, which was subsequently modified by a company called HDT to run on a diesel engine. What this company HDT did was take the Kawasaki gasoline engine out and using a couple bits and bobs from the engine, created a diesel engine that mounted to the Kawasaki transmission and fit inside the Kawasaki chassis. This resulting motorcycle I don't know the designation of this, of the KLR 250, but in 1986, Kawasaki introduced the KLR 650. The KLR 650 with a diesel engine for the military is called the M103 M1. The KLR 650 is essentially a dual sport motorcycle, which is kind of off-road, on-road bike. And it is known as an affordable motorcycle that is very durable. So the military choosing this motorcycle is kind of smart. And with the the diesel modification, it is 
obviously filling their role, things to consider about the KLR650 or the M103M1. It is a modern motorcycle. It, it's still being produced today, so there's been generations of, of it, but the design is basically the same. It's You got the swing arm, chain-driven, single shock in the rear, you know, forks, disc brakes, liquid-cooled, and it's also the 650 is a single cylinder. I'm not sure what the diesel is. It's, you know, obviously as a military motorcycle, it isn't exactly declassified for all the modifications made to the bike. The diesel engine is not a powerhouse. It produces torque. It produces unbelievable fuel economy for the bike. It's sluggish to get up to speed, but once it gets up to speed, you know, it will hold that speed for a long time. So if you're, you know, you could Google KLR650. It's also similar to a lot of BMWs. And that would be something that to go back, you can think about issue number 58 of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, where Dusty and Mainframe go in the desert, recruit young Rashid, and they infiltrate a pterodrome. Anyway, so we've had a lot of advancements in motorcycles. And finally, the second vehicle for the G.I. Joe classified line is the Ram. And I've seen the new Tiger Force Ram, but obviously I don't have that yet. We'll take a quick look at the Ram. Not so much breaker. I mean, he's a good green shirt guy. He has Scoop's helmet and Scoop's mic. It, it's, an, it's an excellent update for for breaker he really should have come with a bubblegum accessory as a comic lover now to start off with i would like to talk about what this new updated ram got right and with the new six inch articulation figures which you know don't need to go on and on about this update actually does have a lot right with it so you still have that fairing. The fairing relative to the rest of the motorcycle is smaller. However, on top of the fairing, you do have a proper set of handlebars. The handlebars have a set of gauges molded onto the top in the center. And then you have your two grips with you know your clutch and your brake lever. Nitpicking a little bit is the handlebars are a little narrow. They're more of a street bike narrow rather than a off-road a little bit wider. But it could also be about the right width because you do have the fairing, which the larger the fairing makes the handlebars look shorter than maybe they really are. But either way, when you have a figure on it, it looks appropriate. You have the gas tank behind it and with the fill cap in the center. So we'll still assume that it's a self-sealing bladder. So that's nice. And then you have a nice thin seat. The way I would have changed the seat, I would have made the seat level. Modern off-road bikes have a level seat on the back rather than something that dips down in a U-shape. It might have a little V-cut where it goes up the gas tank, but then it quickly rises out back and almost is level with the rear fender. 
if you do have a rear fender or you have a little like tool bag on the back, you'd have a little bump there. Now, unlike the 1983 motorcycle, and you don't really have a lot of room in the 1983 Ram for two figures, but it could be done. You don't really have a lot of room for two figures, again, on this G.I. Joe classified version. Moving to the back, you do have some nice silvery detail, almost like notifying the end of the frame where the rear fender is, you know, going to the red plastic taillight. On the left side of the bike, you have your toolkit marked off with a little painted, you know, wrench. And on the right side, you have an American flag where you don't really have that first aid kit. Looking a little more on the right side, on the swing arm, you have a rear disc with a rear molded caliper on the swing arm. The swing arm doesn't move up and down. It's, it is connected to the exhaust by a little bracket. The exhaust is low on both sides. So here would be my first critique with all this. Yes, it is still a twin lung motorcycle engine. Uh, this time it is liquid cooled. You can see the radiator behind the front fender. What they could have done is taken the exhaust and routed it underneath the center of the motorcycle and then brought it up through the and they didn't need they wouldn't need to mold it so much, but you know, just you know, you could you can cheat a little bit with the toy and have the exhaust come out underneath the rear fender, like a KLR650. And but the motorcycle engines molded in black, like the swing arm, like the exhaust. You do have a black kickstand, which is almost identical to the 1983 Rams. It's a nice callback. The front fender is bobbed in the front. You know, it's low in the back, just like the 83. And the front wheel has, is a twin disc configuration with, you know, twin calipers molded on the forks. Here is something that personally I would have liked would have been a modern take on the forks where you have a large upper and a small lower on the shock. So this way it would mimic, you know, what's on a modern off-road bike. But not complaining, you know, it's just something I noticed. And then you move over to the left side and then on the swing arm, you do have a little bit of a painted, deep textured, almost chain. It looks almost like a chain, but it could also be like a shaft drive for, for the rear tire. The fairing does have a silver painted headlamp. And the top of the fairing also has a little bit of a clear plastic, like a modern street bike. The only other thing that was worth noting on the front fairing is you might, underneath the gauges on the handlebars, is there's a place for almost like a little readout screen. You have some nice detail with the MG1027, which is the same callout on the 83 Ram. And you have a G.I. Joe logo in white. And then on the back to the right side, 
you have the number 36 in red, and then you have a blue castle, which looks almost like the Army Corps of Engineers. Now, the piece de resistance of the classified ram is the Gatling cannon, which does come out of the sidecar. Now, the sidecar attaches in similar fashion to the 82-83 ram by attaching to the rear swing arm. And it has a nice little brown little tire. And then you do have a nice diamond pattern on the interior of that. Similar to the 82-83, um, it's similar in shape. And the, uh, the Gatling cannon, the minigun, comes out. And it is a very nice, beefy design. It comes out with, it's similar to what came with Heavy Arms Roadblock. Other than, really, ammo storage, it is a solid minigun. It is really cool, you know, with six barrels rotating around. And they're even hold, so you could put in your blast effects. I think it's a far cry to have, let's say, Breaker hold this, because obviously a weapon like this is ungainly, except for all the manliest of G.I. Joe's. So put it in Sergeant Slaughter's hands, Gung Ho's hands, Roadblock's hands. You know, Cobra Island Roadblock could really use a nice Gatling gun. The only detractor on this is it's held in by three pegs. There's one peg near the front of the sidecar where the Gatling cannon protrudes, and then there's two in the rear. What I found myself constantly doing while having this out was I open it like I think it's like a door, and what I've ended up doing is I've put stress marks on the two rear pegs. Now... They're light stress marks. I haven't really been forceful with it, just absent-minded. It still closes fine, but it's just something to think about, especially if you don't treat this as a toy. You're treating it as an adult collectible. How would I rate the G.I. Joe Classified Ram? It's a three. Um, I think the Classified line is big. It doesn't lend itself well to vehicles because they just take up so much darn room. That's why the classified hiss is going to be huge. I think Breaker with his helmet looks a little bit like Scoop. I just not as big of a fan of this Breaker, while I think he is important. I think the helmet is just, it's while it's very realistic, it's a very good helmet overall, it's just not, my mind's eye seeing Breaker's helmet. It Breaker's helmet to me is a typical military helmet. It's especially in green shirt. It's this one is a little oversized, you know, with the headset. It looks like I said, painted blue, and you got you're on your way to a custom scoop. And that's really it. It's I took this out um, only a couple weeks ago. I was getting excited when I got my 52 Snake Eyes. So it wasn't something that screamed open me right when I got them. You know, and that's the reason why, at the end of the day, the classified Ram is a three Gatling guns out of five. That concludes this missile of the Chaplain's Assistance Motorpod. I have been your host, Gary. 
And for more Chaplin's Assistance Motorpod, you can find it on social media at Chaplin Joe Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also write an email to chaplinjoepod at gmail.com. The Chaplin's Assistance Motorpod can be found on many major podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Good Pods, and also Anchor.fm, our host. And while you're there, feel free to leave a review, rate us. That only improves and grows this podcast. The Chaplin Sisters Motorpod is the strange, but not as strange, nerdy little brother of the pint, a pop culture podcast. With all of that out of the way, one final missile for the masses. Be decent to each other. But let's take a... Oh, wow. And now you can hear the, the water running. Oh, time for a drink. <laughs>